This week's installment of the We Were Warned series does not feature a prophecy, but rather prophetic warnings from figures who had the uncanny ability to predict the future. It's not the first time I've done this. I've done them before with focuses on specifically what Cardinals Manning and Newman said the church taught about the Antichrist. Today, I have prophetic warnings that those who are not familiar with their work would call unprophetic sources, specifically from Chesterton and Fulton Sheen. Chesterton had been noted for the number of predictions he made of the future, all doing with disordered conduct that would become the norm. And here I have a few such ones that fit perfectly with Catholic prophecy, this time focusing on the state of the world and the state of the souls of men. Sheen's is also a prediction of the future, meaning likely for our time, and it goes quite well with the videos going viral of Fulton Sheen's prophetic warnings today. But to finish that off, I'll tie this to a warning from Our Lady that are that is directly relinked. Is this a little different? Sure, but you'll probably see as I did that Chesterton and Sheen were spot on with their warnings. So, without further ado, here are the prophecies of G.K. Chesterton and Fulton Sheen as they pertain to our new age of darkness. Chesterton, 1927. Certain critics tell us that we wish to return to the Dark Ages, about which they themselves are entirely in the dark. They are in the dark not only about what the phrase ought to mean, but even about what they mean by it. At the best, it is an erroneous term for the Middle Ages. More often, it is a jumble of everything and anything, from the Stone Age to the Victorian Age. A man spoke the other day of the medieval idea that our own nation must be supported against any other nation, evidently unaware that when Europe was medieval, it was far less national. Somebody else spoke of the medieval notion of a different morality for men and women, the medieval morality being one of the few that applied almost equally to both. If they talk thus ignorantly of the Middle Ages, of which even historians are beginning to know something, they naturally know even less about the Dark Ages, of which nobody knows very much. The Dark Ages, properly understood, were that period during which cultural continuity is almost broken between the fall of Rome and the rise of medieval society. The time of the barbarian wars and the first beginnings of feudalism. Naturally, these critics know very little about the period. They know so little about it as to say that we want to bring it back. And yet the strangest thing, in all the strange things they say, is the fact that there is some truth in what they say. In a sense, quite different from what they intend, there really is a parallel between our position and that of the people in the Dark Ages. One way of putting it is that both are faced with a possible triumph of the barbarians as in their time a new and disproportionate military power arose among provincials. So in our case a new and disproportionate money power has arisen among colonials. Then Rome was sometimes weaker than the transalpine legions. Now Europe is sometimes weaker than the transatlantic banks. The streets of London are altered, if not destroyed, by factions that may legitimately be called the Vandals. And for the anarchy beyond the Roman wall, we have the anarchy of Wall Street, but though we might work some such fanciful parallel for the fun of the thing, it would really be unfair to America, which has inherited some Roman traditions more clearly than we. For instance, the tradition of the Republic. A much truer way of stating the parallel is this, that history is here repeating itself, for once in a way, in connection with a certain idea, which can best be described as the idea of sanctuary. In the Dark Ages, the arts and sciences went into sanctuary. This was true then in a special and technical sense, because they went into the monastery. Because we praise the only thing that saved anything from the wreck, we are actually accusing, accused of praising the wreck. We are charged with desiring the Dark Ages, because we praise the few scattered candles that were lit to dispel the darkness. 
we are charged with desiring the deluge because we are grateful for the ark. But the immediate question here is historical rather than religious. And it is a fact attested by all historians that what culture could be found in that barbarous transition was mostly to be found in the shelter of the monastic institutions. We may regret or admire the form which that culture took in the shelter, but nobody denies the storm from which it was sheltered. Nobody denies that St. Dunstan was more cultivated than a Danish pirate, or that there is more art in Gothic arches than in Gothic raids, and it is in this sense of science and art going into the sanctuary that there seems to be a real parallel between the barbarian anarchy and the progress that we are enjoying just now. Some, even of my own moral and religious atmosphere, have asked why I give such importance to property, which if it be a human appetite may also easily be a human lust. I confess that my chief impulse is not so much to prevent it from being idealistically denounced as to prevent it from being cynically defended. I can listen patiently to a communist repeating for hours at a time that property is unnecessary because men must surrender selfish interests to social ideals. I only begin to break the furniture when somebody starts to prove that property is necessary because men are all selfish and every man must look after himself. The case for property is not that a man must look after himself, but on the contrary, that a normal man has to look after other people, if it be simply a wife and family. It is that this unit should have an economic basis for social independence. If he were considering only himself, he might be more independent as a vagabond. He might be more secure as a serf. But the point at the moment is that I like property because it is a noble thing. I can respect the agent of chaos who dislikes it because it is an ignoble thing, but I have no truck with the cynic who likes it because it is ignoble. But I believe that at this historic crisis, it has become not only a just, but in a rather special sense, a sacred thing. Real property will be all the more sacred because it will be rather rare. It will be an island of Christian culture in a sea of senseless, drifting, and mutable social moods. In short, I believe we have reached the time when the family will be called upon to play the part once played by the monastery. That is to say, there will retire into it not merely the peculiar virtues that are its own, but the crafts and creative habits which once belonged to all sorts of other people. In the old dark ages, it was impossible to persuade the feudal chiefs that it was more worthwhile to grow medicinal herbs in a small garden than to lay waste the province of an empire, that it was better to decorate the corner of a manuscript with gold leaf than to heap up treasuries and wear crowns of gold. These men were men of action. They were hustlers. They were full of vim and pep and snap and zip. In other words, they were deaf and blind and partly mad, and rather like American millionaires. Because they were men of action and men of the moment, all that they did has vanished from the earth like a vapor, and nothing remains out of all that period with the little pictures and the little gardens made by the pottering little monks. As nothing would convince one of the old barbarians that an herbal or missile could be more important than a triumph and a train of servants, so nothing could convince one of the new barbarians that a game of hide-and-seek can be ed more educative than a tennis tournament at Wimbledon, or a local tradition told by an old nurse, and more historic than an imperial speech at Wembley, the real national tone will have to remain, for a time, as a domestic tone. As religion once went into the streets, so patriotism must retire into private life. This does not mean that it will be less powerful. Ultimately, it may be more powerful, just as the monasteries became enormously powerful. But it is by retiring into these forts that we can outlast and wear down the invasion. It is by camping upon these islands that we await the sinking of the flood.
Just as in the Dark Ages, the world without was given up to vainglory, or of mere rivalry and violence. So in this passing age, the world will be given up to vulgarity in gregarious fashions and every sort of futility. It is very like the flood, and not least in being unstable as water. Noah had a houseboat which seems to have contained many other things besides the obvious household pets, and many wild birds of exotic plumage, and many wild beasts of almost fabulous fantasy. Many arts counted pagan and science counted rationalistic may come to roost or burrow in such stormy seas in the shelter of the convent or the home. End lengthy quote. His point here is that in the coming age of darkness, the greatest shelter and greatest means of preserving the culture will be the family, because everything else will have failed us. And that is why you must cling to property and you must cling to family. And those things are under attack rather obviously today. Now, if this observation and my analysis of it is granted, then this is one there is one characteristic that made this possible. Yes, Chesterton spoke also of the state of the church and adherence to her moral code, quoting Mr. Chesterton again, Nothing is more notable if we really study the characteristics of the rising generation than the fact that they are not acting upon any exact and definite philosophy, such as those which have made the upheavals of the past. If they are anarchical, they are not anarchists. The dogmatic anarchism of the middle of the 19th century is not the creed they hold, or even the excuse they offer. They have a considerable negative revolt against religion, a negative revolt against negative morality. They have a feeling, which is not unreasonable, that to commit themselves to Catholic citizenship is to take responsibilities that continually act as restraints. Insofar as there is really a secession among the youth, it is but a part of the same process as that conversion of the young, of which I wrote about in a previous chapter. He's quoting his book, Orthodoxy, here. The rising generation sees the real issue, and those who are ready for it rally, and those who are not ready for it scatter. But there can be but one end to a war between a solid and scattered army. It is not a controversy between two philosophies, as was the Catholic and the Calvinist, or the Catholic and the materialist. It is a controversy between philosophers and philanderers. The very laws of life are against the endurance of a revolt that rests on nothing but natural passion. It is bound to change in its proportion with the coming of experience, and at worst it will become a battle between bad Catholics and good Catholics, the great dome over all. End quote. Do you see what he's saying here? We live in an age of anti-philosophy. We live in a time of unbridled passion, and that is what we are up against now. But how did this happen? He tells us again, quote, The next great heresy is going to be simply an attack on morality, and especially on sexual morality. And it is coming, not from a few socialists surviving from the Fabian society, but from the living exultant energy of the rich resolved to enjoy themselves at last, with neither popery, nor puritanism, nor socialism to hold them back. The roots of the new heresy, God knows, are as deep as nature itself, whose flower is the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. I say that the man who cannot see this cannot see the signs of the times, cannot see even the sky signs in the street that are the new sort of signs in heaven. The madness of tomorrow is not in Moscow, but much more in Manhattan. But most of what was in Broadway is already in Piccadilly. End quote. In other words, we have already created for ourselves an anti-culture, one that is subverting the moral foundations of society. This is what ushers in our dark age, this anti-philosophy, this anti-culture. Which brings us nicely to Fulton Sheen, who 46 years ago warned of our time in history at the end of Christendom. Quote, first of all, we are at the end of Christendom, Bishop Sheen 
warned his television audience. Now, not Christianity, not the church. Remember what I'm saying. He defines here what he means, quote, Christendom is economic, political, social life, as inspired by Christian principles. That is ending. We've seen it die. Look at the symptoms. The breakup of the family, divorce, the Moloch issue, immorality, general dishonesty, end quote. He goes on. We live in it from day to day, and we do not see the decline. We take it for granted. We get used to things, and all them as the rule. The things we read, the television we see, is in no instance inspired by Christian principles. As a matter of fact, there is, on the part of many of us, the tendency to go down to meet the world, not to lift the world up. We are afraid of being unpopular, so we go with what's popular. End quote. Now, how many of you have had the following experience or something like it? I recently saw on my personal fa Facebook self-identified Catholics siding with the agents of chaos and endorsing their horrendous actions in my hometown. I can't get more explicit than that, but I have to ask, how many Catholics do you know have fallen into this trap, that have fallen into the spirit of the French Revolution and have adopted the principles born from it, that have adopted the attitudes of those who oppose the Church and our faith? Too many of you, I would imagine, had know of this. I would say I was shocked to see it, but in reality, it's become all too common. But Sheen continues, quote, Today we have to conform to the world, or we're branded. Our Lord said, I have taken you out of the world. We say, no, we have to win the world, and to win it, you have to be one with it. Our Lord says, I pray not for the world. He was praying for the spirit of the world, and this is the easiest kind of way to fall off the log. Worldliness. It's so simple, and it can be justified for a thousand. Today, the current is against us, and today the mood of the world is, go with the world, go with the spirit. So the Lord is testing us, and he is testing Western Christians with worldliness, and how many of us are falling, end quote. Sheen then spoke what looks like about our times today, quote, not far after our time, and perhaps in the time of some, then will come the battles and the testing. Our Lord said, Satan would sift you as wheat, and we are being sifted as wheat. So we can all thank God that we live in these days. Really, it's beautiful. Now, we can say I or nay, and we can bear up under assault, criticism, and ridicule, because this is the lot of the Christian in the days of the spirit of the world, end quote. And we live in the times of the spirit of the world. I'm sure by now you've come to accept that. But what has enabled this? This is where the warnings of Our Lady come in. First, let's briefly look at the warning of Our Lady of Buen Successo de la Purificación, better known as by the mistranslated name of Our Lady of Good Success. Now, a quick note. Her title in Spanish translates better to something more or less akin to Our Lady of the Good Event of the Purification. Consider that when you think of her warning. She, in the 17th century, warned of the world that the stonecutters would create in the 20th century and beyond. Quote, Unbridled passion will give way to a total corruption of customs because Satan will reign through the sects, targeting the young in particular to ensure general corruption. Unhappy are the young of those times. Seldom will they receive the sacraments of baptism and confirmation. As for the sacrament of penance, they will confess only while attending Catholic schools, which the devil will do his utmost to destroy by means of persons in authority. The same will occur with the Holy Communion. Oh, how it hurts me to tell you that there will be many and enormous public and hidden sacrileges. In those times, the sacrament of extreme unction will be largely ignored. Many will die without receiving it, being thereby deprived of innumerable graces, consolation, and strength in the great leap from time to eternity. 
The sacrament of matrimony, which symbolizes the union of Christ with the church, will be thoroughly attacked and profaned. The stonecutters, then reigning, will implement iniquitous laws aimed at extinguishing the sacrament. They will make it easy for all to live in sin, thus multiplying the birth of children without the church's blessing. Secular education will contribute to a scarcity of priestly and religious vocations. The holy sacrament of holy orders will be ridiculed, oppressed, and despised, for in this both the church and God himself are oppressed and reviled, since he is represented by his priests. The devil will work to persecute the ministers of the Lord in every way, working with baneful cunning to destroy the spirit of their vocation and corrupting many. Those who will thus scandalize the Christian flock will bring upon all priests the hatred of bad Christians and the enemies of the one holy Roman Catholic and apostolic church. This apparent triumph of Satan will cause enormous suffering to the good pastors of the church and to the supreme pastor and vicar of Christ on earth. A prisoner in the Vatican will shed secret and bitter tears in the presence of God our Lord, asking for light, sanctity, and perfection for all the clergy of the world to whom he is king and father. End quote. There's more to her message, but you get the idea, and you can dovetail this with Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of La Salette, and any others you can think of. This new age of darkness will feature a church in turmoil and discredited, an age of rampant faithlessness leading to the decay and moral disintegration that we're all too familiar with. This new dark age is a t period of an attack on the family and what it means to be a human being. And with that comes the disintegration of society itself. For without a moral foundation rooted in the faith, society cannot hold itself together. It's amazing to me how prescient these two men were and how they fit perfectly into Our Lady's warnings from 400 years ago. Let me know your thoughts on this in the comments. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.